Welcome to the Stories or Soul Food podcast with your hosts, Brian Cole and best-selling author, N.D. Wilson. This audio is brought to you by Cannonball Books and Great Homeschool Conventions. Everybody, welcome to episode 11 of Stories Are Soul Food. Uh, We are here with special guest Christine Cohen, who's the author of The Winter King and hopefully some other things soon. A few other things going on. Yeah. Uh, The Winter King, of course, is a finalist in the Christie Awards for this past year. And if it doesn't win, there was fraud. It didn't win. Right. There was fraud. There was. (laughs) But uh, we Fraud. all we all know what we would Fraud. have chosen to win. Who did win? Oh man, I can't even remember. It was a book about a somebody fraudulent. No, probably somebody very nice, some very <laughs> nice person. I'm going to accuse of fraud the rest of the episode. <laughs> we'll just leave it vague. I can't even think of who was, it was that book printed in China. That's what I want to know. <laughs> the book that won. Ooh, it probably was. Mm-hmm. Being as they mostly <laughs> just get printed in China or Mexico. Mm-hmm. Right. Either way. Yeah. Fraudulent. Congrats, Christine, on having written a great book. Thank you. We can start with a plug for The Winter King. Yep. Pause this podcast and go order a copy now if you haven't already. Yeah. If you have daughters ages 8 to 16. As somebody who was very much a male reader growing up or sons, it's a great book. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. Yeah, there's girl stuff in it, but it is very much a till we have faces at the YA middle grade level one of my biggest fans is a boy in my daughter's fourth grade class who several times when i've gone into class to give something to my daughter has held up the copy (laughs) of the winter king and shown me how many times he's read it so fantastic (laughs) we won't tell him it's for girls because it's not (laughs) because it's not yeah because it's not it is about a girl right and which is why we're going to be talking about female protagonists there's the theme cue the theme music Yeah, cue the theme music. Female protagonists. The Winter King. Get it, read it, enjoy it. It's a great one. Should have won the Christie. (laughs) (laughs) We all know it did, really. (laughs) We've covered the full scope of things. All right, but I wanted to start off with a question. It's kind of one of those things when you say female main characters go, what Mm. do you think of? Who 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 are the female main characters we think of? And is that actually even before we get to who, what do you think of? Start with what, then we can move to who. What do you think of when you think female protagonists, Christine? What do you mean by what? Like, I think who is easier. I know. <laughs> I can handle that. So, let's that. start with what and we can move to who. I know what kind of lists I think of. Reaction. They... Like, just immediate oh. knee-jerk reaction to somebody who says, female protagonist, do mm, you think? Well, especially if someone says strong female Ooh, protagonist. Yeah. What I think of is what I imagine you would get if you Googled strong female protagonist, which is pictures of women with swords. That is what we get. And maybe the sides of their head shaved. Mm-hmm. Yep. A um, little bit, kind of some Viking influence, yeah. for sure. Some tattoos. Some and then piercings. a list that says something like the 12 best kick-ass characters, right. female characters that we love, morally gray. They say things like that. Morally gray? Mm-hmm. That's one of the things they say. Oh, yeah. That is the that is the big thing right now. Mm. I don't know if you want me to get onto this soapbox Not soap black, not yet. white, not racial at all. <laughs> it's morally gray. <laughs> zombie colored. <laughs> this is zombie colored female. Man. We got to avoid all... All uh, binary black and white. It is a big thing with in the YA world right now where editors will say, give me your female characters who do bad things and don't feel bad about it. Like that's give me those characters Mm. who are just unequivocally obese, but still healthy. (laughs) Murderous, but still likable. Yeah. Yeah. Still strong. And I think that what happened was there were enough characters male characters that were that way which we and just so, would always call the anti-hero right as, <laughs> yeah but but people were like that's wrong like why do the men get to do that so instead of just like correcting right. we said instead we're gonna have women do that as as a side note that is a huge cultural pervasive problem where men are pigs and in frequent frequent cases yes like okay so men are pigs and we are angry that men are pigs we want to be pigs also oh yeah you see is that the, the worst possible reaction to that it's it's you see that in the music industry it's like men objectified women for so long how awful we're gonna do it to ourselves (laughs) see you didn't make me here we go i did (laughs) it it myself empowered empowered for sure i do it daddy (laughs) (laughs) when nate asked what do you think of i think that's it i think that it's those fake lists right you immediately start to think 
propaganda. You start to think about messing yeah. with gender roles, mm-hmm. subversion, people trying to subvert something. And you're right. There's been so many anti-hero dirtbag guy characters for so long. Why can't women be rascals too is sort of, I mean, that's tired, but it, it, is. it makes sense that it's there. And then, and then not only that, but because they realize you can't have like the women be rascals and the men be rascals in the same story. So we'll have the women be rascals and the men be soft. Right. Like that's, that's what you need to have is you need to have your fierce female leads and your marshmallow men. The men have all the feelings and the angst and, and the women the are like, I kill people. And, yeah. I kill people and I don't feel bad about it. So. Morally gray. It's bizarre. Phrase of the day for it me. It doesn't make sense. Morally gray. <laughs> I'm going to start saying things like, I had a morally gray afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Today was a little morally gray. But yeah, it's, that's really interesting. But I, I think when somebody says female protagonist, I don't think good book. I just don't. That's not my reaction. But I don't think good book when somebody says male protagonist either. Right. You know, it's just like, okay, it's a book about a girl. But currently in this climate and in and out of secular publishing, it is about subversion or finding really unique uh, standout female characters, I assume. So the traditional fairy tale framework that Chesterton talked about where you have a normal character and then the world goes mad, that that is the classic fairy tale. Is that holding true for female protagonists? Does anybody want to find a normal girl or are they looking for the abnormal, the outliers? No, it seems like what they're, well, the big trend for a while, like I was saying, when you see women with swords is, is that we want women to be strong. Right. So you hear the strong female protagonist. But the strength they want the women to have is a man's strength, which right. is like utterly insulting to women that we're like, here, here, you need to be the strong female character, which means you can't be female at all. You have to have all the male attributes. But without the back hair. Right. And, and it's like, it's so implausible as well. We're like, here's this five foot four, 110 pound woman who takes out all the men in the citadel or whatever well, it is i just can't stop thinking of the mandalorian and the introduction of his new hero sidekick the mma the mma woman Gal. shock trooper yeah. rebel shock trooper lady mm. with the shaved side of the head she does have oh. my kids are getting I'm, real tired of me yelling at know. the screen battles are ugly when women fight them every time <laughs> she comes on i'm like that's I am, it i this is definitely not leading me any closer to watching oh, the no. mandalorian i've just <laughs> I've not done it and I'm not going to do it. Guess what? She was such a trope that they brought her back for season two and she's just as bad. <laughs> I, I will say that last night I watched the opening of Wonder Woman for the first time on yeah. the request Another of a friend. Another strong female Hi, character. On the request of a, a friend <laughs> telling me we needed to have a discussion about it. And it was just, it's just insufferable. And it becomes, I think that film actually becomes a little more charming later on. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say is but, I felt like that one. My expectations are so low when it comes to female main characters that Wonder Woman surprised me almost that it <laughs> I had to turn it way down and turn subtitles on just to get a little more distance from it because <laughs> it was like watching 20 minutes of somebody's fingernails on the chalkboard for me at the beginning. Uh, oh, once, is that when they're in their little fantasy land? Yeah. Okay, and that once, was pretty bad. Once, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, once she's actually in Europe in the modern world and there's all this anachronistic humor, I was like, okay, this is kind of funny and mm-hmm. this is playful, but man, I couldn't deal with the, the beginning. It was bad, yeah. But so female protagonists, what? It's kind of loaded right now in our climate and yet girls are readers. Girls are the majority of readers and they need soul food. Per our title of this podcast, they need good food just like the guys do. Is there a reason, and I'm sorry, Brian, we're derailing, but Christine, no, do you think there's a reason why it's harder for guys to read books about female protagonists or even is it? Is, should it be? Well, I mean, I feel like as evidenced by the number of guys who have come up and told me that they love the Winter King, I don't think the problem is so much with that. I mean, I I think it's got to be more with maybe the way that women have approached adding like a female lead into their books. You feel like you're almost not welcome. Is that right? Well, like as a guy. I think I could try. I can track that. So, do you think that if you have a good book, a really good story is a story that's about humanity I and mean, it's about all the all the big themes right it's not about being a girl but neither is it about being a boy you know it's right. about it's about being and then you right. are you are who you are you've been cast in a particular role so when i think of till we have faces i actually don't think female protagonist the first thing right. that jumps to mind is not female protagonist and yet right it's, a female it's, it's orwell's struggle like her whole yeah yeah her complaint against the gods and then her sister and that yeah. relationship rather than 
And I, same thing with Narnia. I don't think male or female. And I right. don't even think about the fact, I don't get right to the fact that it's pretty balanced, that he always plays with a male and a female lead or almost always does. Adam and Eve yeah. in every book. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I think know. it's going back to what you said about, like, if you were to, if someone were to say, what's the book about? And they said a male protagonist, that doesn't give you any information. Nothing. But if someone says a female protagonist, that's so loaded with Why'd you specify? feminism, yeah. with like <laughs> uh, all yeah. these things that- Girl power issues. Yeah, girl power yeah. and stuff that's very much like topic driven, issue driven right. literature that a guy would feel kind yeah. of unwelcome in, that I feel uncomfortable in, like that people who realize like, oh, this is just a book slamming men or at least saying women are yeah. like way better and men are dirt. Like that's- Something so affirming. uninteresting. But if you were to just, like you were saying, if you think of a strong female protagonist as just a human being yeah. with yeah. wants, desires, with a flaw that needs fixing, yeah. like those types of things. And if you just honestly approach the story that way, um, you don't need to call them strong female protagonists. You're just, you're just being truthful to the way the world is. It's kind of funny because as, well, I, I mean, like we're, we're hardly cutting edge, hip, woke people. Uh, on the bleeding edge of what's current in the publishing world. And yet I would say, really tell me that it's a strong protagonist. Is this a, is, right. the, is the protagonist strong and I'm in or not? When I was reading Winter King, I didn't think I was reading a girl book. There's a whole bunch of girl stuff in it because the lead is female and therefore there should be. Yeah, focusing yeah. like, on the Winter King, if you go with Cora and you're talking about Cora, picking that she's female Yes, right. she is, but <laughs> right. but it's That'd also be a like, weird wow. way for me to pitch the story. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's about a female. Right. Period. Yeah. Then, <laughs> you know, you know. So with Cora, you know, she starts out the story like I, obviously there's different ways to approach the type of female protagonist you're going to have. But with Cora, I was very much doing what Lewis does with Orwell until we have faces where she is very flawed at the beginning. I make her make very bad choices, do very bad things, and then be called to account for them. Yeah. Because I was so sick of reading stories where the girls got a pass because they were girls or for whatever reason, because it was hard. Because right. like all the reasons that women nowadays on Instagram give each other a pass for being awful to their kids, to their right. whatever, because life is hard, because this or that. It was like, no, we're not, we can't do that. You don't get to be sort that of way. no excuses. I don't right. care that you've got this horrible situation and yeah, the false God and it's really cold. You still don't get to act like that. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> no excuses, Cora. It doesn't matter that it's cold. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense uh, because when, when we're looking at Aristotle's theory about what makes a hero and then that, that action- As I often don't do. <laughs> <laughs> I should, I'm, well- I'm going to convince you, Nate, that it's worth it because the idea of a hero making that choice that leads toward vice but doesn't arrive there. Right. It's not gendered at all. If we're going to grab <laughs> well, gross, that's, a, see, that's the thing terms. I'm saying is it's kind of hilarious that well, I mean, this, is, this is the way it works often is the people who are trying to be, well, is if somebody's colorblind, you have the same problem. Somebody's racially colorblind. They're not prejudiced at all. That's no longer chic. Like, no, you need to be hyper aware and that's where we are now with female protagonists as well is it has to be hyper female especially female topically female trend-based female issues of the day but does it really because they don't even know what it means to be female anymore right no but that's uh part of the spiral I yeah think. okay yeah so what i mean is like they're like we we could be in a place where you know, we think that God created man and woman and with very specific roles and skills and callings, and yet tell me a good story. And if you tell me a good story about a female protagonist and it's a classic story and it's tapping into something that's fundamentally human, then it is a great story and it's for both genders to read and it can feed the souls of both and the imaginations of both, which is weird that we're in that place. And uh, I think that the caricature of people like us, people who take the Bible seriously, would be that we would want books for girls and books for boys. And we'd right. be trying to like affirm toxic masculinity and only write books about girls in long dresses who bake. Although, man, if you wrote a story about a girl in a long dress who loved baking right say, now, that'd be pretty subversive. Is that a writing that'd prompt? Be pretty, that'd be pretty, <laughs> pretty subversive in our culture right now, um, especially if she was really good with a handgun or a sword. <laughs> Um, she baked them into the loaves of bread. 
Yeah. yeah. So it's, and the story has to be different. It can't be the same story, but you could write the Harry Potter series and it could have been about a girl that could have been a female protagonist. Right. Um, so, yeah. I mean, or like, if you think of like scriptural women, the women of the Bible, you have, I don't know, I, I can think of Jael and Deborah who are an Esther fighter. Esque. Well, I'm, I'm thinking oh, of specifically oh. the ones who maybe like, you know, Jail kills with the tempe, Deborah, like yeah. overtly, maybe more militant. But the rest of them, there are so many women in the Bible who are strong in very feminine ways. Like you were saying, Esther, you know, you've got Ruth, Mary, you have Mary. <laughs> and what I think that one of the unifying themes for them is that they are all so brave. Like they are unflinchingly brave. They Rahab. You know, they are, they're acting within the story they've been given with the skill set they've been given. So many of them are shrewd and. They have to be because they're playing with a different skill set and a different vulnerability. Right. And, yeah. but, and that's the thing that I find so fascinating about the women in scripture. And then I think that we, especially women writers, uh, need to tap into more is looking at how very different so many of them are, but how very strong, I guess, they are as well. So I think that that's I think that's a great insight, and I think as I scroll through, we're getting to your other question, the one you're trying to get to the yeah. the who, well, but the, as I scr- <laughs> as I scroll through classic books and like Narnia, and I think could I could you take that story and tell a story about a little boy who finds Narnia instead of Lucy? Could it have been a little boy and his big sister is you know sucked into the orbit of the white witch and lies and plays the role of Edmund. Absolutely. You could. And because the framework, the architecture of the story and the issues of brokenness and betrayal and restoration are all the same, but it's handy. It'd have to be handled differently and it's differently loaded. A little girl betrayed by her big brother is definitely a little more fraught than uh, a little boy by his big sister, but it's just as emotional. You know, it's like the the emotional freight is is just just as present. But I think about great if we move to your question now, Brian. If we finally get there after circling around it, yeah. we'll pretend like we are at the ground level and dealing with all the philosophical questions first. The who, the as one does, specific female protagonists. Do you want to start with good ones or bad ones or just ones? I think the idea of a good one is the place to start because I feel like we can we can grab some bad ones if we want. Sure. But um, I think the idea of, hey, this is someone who sticks in my mind as being female protagonist in a way that maybe it would make a list, a good list as opposed to a list that gets pinned. I always start first with Austin because her characters, again, are so, like the thing that makes a good protagonist, they're active. They are making choices. They are doing things. They have flaws that they have to repent of by the end of the story. You've got Emma, yeah. you know, just making a botch of everything around her. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's just delightful. It's so interesting to watch or read. Yeah. Emma's, Emma's great there. Cause she is, she is making such choices and she's mm-hmm. making such bad ones. And so like, if you think about pride and prejudice, Elizabeth is nowhere near as the act. She's not the engine driving the story. She's making choices. She's fantastic. She's a great character. But Emma is the matchmaker. She, she has decided. <laughs> she has decided to do this, and she's really setting out to do a thing, uh, and failing miserably and having to learn her lessons. I love both of those books. And as a side note, yeah, they're not f- like those aren't for guys. Guys read those books. They're great books. They're fantastic. I tried to resist as a college kid, and then I read one and thought, "Oh, we see who the lamo is." <laughs> me for not having read it. Those, <laughs> oh, those are fantastic. You've, you've recently complained about Austin. I don't remember where I saw this. In some of your work, maybe in MFA or where did you talk about not liking Austin? Oh, no. Yeah, it was I in your reading this. logs. Now, this is where we say that Christine is also a candidate for the MFA at <laughs> Camperdown oh, yeah. Writers Guild at New Sanders College. Get a plug in there. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, reading through your novel journals, you've referred to Austin. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh. I read one that I was not- You had a complaint about- I had a complaint about, about it. About her description of the way she'll move on from a scene and then tell you what happened afterward. Um, I agree with you completely. Yeah. I, share, I share your complaints absolutely, which is not to say that Austin was, Austin was a towering genius. Oh, I think it was persuasion. Yeah. Which we, we were waiting for the main characters to have like a moment of reconciliation at the end 
And she told us it happened without showing us the scene. She does the same thing in Pride and Prejudice. And I thought, why? The finale. Like, we've of, been waiting. Yeah. So the the big thing at the at the end, the big denouement mm -hmm. of Pride and Prejudice is off screen. And it shouldn't be. Yeah. And that was a mistake. Uh, she should actually write that dialogue. But I understand what she was doing. That's it why was, they moved it to the rain, right? It was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but it was interesting. But she had scruples and it was indiscreet to sort of be there for that level of passion, I think. So she was. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time. It's not to criticize her because the, the medium was still being explored and discovered and invented by people like her. So it's, you know, it's like complaining about early filmmakers, you know. Oh, I've got another one. Yeah. Sophie Howell's Moving Castle. Mm. She's one I really enjoyed. She's great. She's a good one. And I wanted to move it children specific because we can, yeah. we could talk yeah, adult yeah, yeah. literary fiction, but. Right. There's well. more in adult. Yeah. Well, there's, that's probably not true. There's more that I know of an adult that's different. <laughs> I was thinking of Alice in Wonderland or Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, right. like classic mm -hmm. female. But again, even calling them female protagonists does that whole problem where you're like, why would you say that? They're just right. a, a classic kids book and the main character is Alice. <laughs> so I've got this idea for a story where there's a female protagonist who meets a female spider uh, who writes messages about a pig in the spider web. We go to, <laughs> you go to Charlotte's Web. It's like, it's not, yeah, it's a girl. Does it matter that the pig is a boy? <laughs> right, right. But Charlotte's Web, Web is genius. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But just like Phantom Tollbooth is not, it's not essential that it's a male protagonist. Right. Like that could be a female protagonist. Yeah. Charlotte's Web is great and it's great that she's a girl. And I don't know anybody ever who ever thought that was a book for girls. Yeah. E.B. White would be rolling over in his grave as us right. talking about it as a, a female protagonist book. Okay. So a lot of these are younger. Yeah, that's right? young. But when you move into like, I guess young adult is still a pretty new category in terms of publishing. But like when I was trying to think through what are books written for that 13 to 16, 17, the, the age range that your wife frequently texts me and is like, have you read anything <laughs> worth giving to my girls? That was where I was coming up short. I, I hate that Katniss has somehow taken over the entire genre as this is what a female protagonist, like a, as far as cardboard characters go. Well, it could be worse. She could be Bella oh, from Twilight. That's true. Even is that more. Worse? I guess I it mean, depends. Really, yeah, yeah. Which one gets the worst star? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Katniss does for her actions. Bella does for just being a paper cutout. Yeah. A person that Completely you're supposed to put your own face onto. Own <laughs> Are we allowed to talk about Twilight if we haven't read it? <laughs> and never will. I read the first one, so I can talk okay, about it. Okay, you can it. talk about Bella. I cannot. She has no personality because you're meant to cut out your own face and paste it onto her. Mm. As a woman, you're reading it or a girl. But okay, so that's an insult. But given, I mean, that's kind of the goal for any author with a protagonist. And that's the, the reason why I, I mean... You're trying to write a pretty normal kid, but who's a little on the, like just a little different, unique enough that people like them and are drawn to them and are understandable and relatable enough that they can connect with that character. They can understand and relate to that character. It's not the same, I guess, as pasting your face on that right. character. Well, what I mean with Bella is that she doesn't have a personality. Like okay. that's the point of her is she's that- She's a vacuum. She's, Nature abhors a vacuum. She's nervous. <laughs> she's a, she doesn't like to talk. She's clumsy. She- like, I don't, I don't remember a description of her, but it was probably unflattering because it was in first person, you know, like- I read just, enough excerpts to know that the vampire sparkles. She, Bella doesn't sparkle? <laughs> not until she turns I'm actually not even sure if her name is Bella. I, now that I'm saying that- Well, that it's like, I hope it's not. That'd be even better. That'd be pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> if, we talked, <laughs> if we talked about- No, I mean, she's just, she's just an emotional sort of emoter, the nonstop emoter. If- that's all it is, is just emotion. <laughs> no personality, just ooze. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you could feel something negative in a scene, that character will feel it. I would like to take a note though, real quick and say, this is a podcast about stories and we're not sure whether that's the name of the protagonist <laughs> of Twilight. That's right there. Those are our bona fides. Yeah. We don't, we don't know. And that's, I honestly mean that. Like we're pure. We've been kept away from the taint <laughs> of knowing and we'll, and we'll probably have people who are mad at us who have found some religious themes in the Twilight Ooh. series. Well, so vampires are resurrection. Yeah, yeah, it's Christine's fault. They are. <laughs> I told you this would be a spicy episode <laughs> coming in hot. So, so do you think Katniss, Katniss is, is, is she worse, Nate? No, I don't think so. I, I think that Katniss gets, I mean, again, I haven't read Twilight, so, 
But based on Christine's description, I don't think that Katniss is worse. I would say that Katniss is better. Katniss has more desire, of more drive, more active decision-making than it sounds like the woman we refer to as Bella <laughs> has in that series. The protagonist. <laughs> the, the female protagonist, the female of, protagonist that of the Twilight series. Yeah. But I think it's the comment about she's empty so you can stick your face on her makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense of the success of the books as well. You know, like that's the a weird wish fulfillment and the marketing around those books was so heavily driven by which team you are on in terms of which guy should win her. Or, you know, it's like, and if you are placing the readers in a place where they're highly desired by immortals <laughs> and it's, and the whole thing is a triangle, which immortal will win you? Yeah, that's a, that's a strong cocktail. And I think that that actually is also part of why men or I guess teenage boys are not going to go to a lot of the YA shelves that are primarily aimed specifically at women is because they are written by 20 to 30 year olds. They are actually read my agent, my former agent was telling me by 20 to 30 year olds who are doing the very wish fulfillment we were talking about. Like they, they are wanting to write a story in which they could see themselves as the hot 17 year old with the love triangle. Okay. So you mean books for the 13 to 20 age range are written by the decade after. Yeah. Yeah. And, and read by the decade, and read after. By the and decade, read after, by decade after. And marketed to the decade after. It's it's an odd thing and it's something I've even seen. Uh, I was told this years ago. I was yeah. told this about even middle grade. Oh, yeah. And it's 80, there was at 85% or so at that, at that moment of readers were adults. So at this point, we're not, we're not writing to children to give them a good story. We're writing to this echo chamber who's all like, oh, I loved how hot the two guys were in your story. <laughs> like, it's just the weirdest thing. Zoinks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a technical term, <laughs> meaning indicating alarm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, as far as it goes, Katniss really is going to define things. Are we allowed to branch out into female characters in general, or can we? I we, think we should. We should go. We should go broader. Because, what do you, okay. What do you think, Christine? What do you think of Tolkien's female characters? There have been a lot of complaints over the various decades that he doesn't have enough or he, dra- you know, draws them inadequately Hmm. yeah the screenwriter said that the masculine energy of the books was so strong that they had to add elf characters oh yeah female elf characters etc to help off and they didn't they said they didn't have a problem with the original just the masculine energy was too strong yeah so um okay i'm you know what happens shuffling through the masculine energy is too strong I don't know. Wait, we, no don't, we really in a, don't. In a, in a movie? <laughs> apparently, it becomes a classic that lasts for all time. Right? <laughs> yeah, yes, apparently. <laughs> well, okay. So, when I think of female protagonists or female characters in Tolkien, like the one that stands out is Eowyn. And she has one of the best character arcs yeah. ever. And she is full of longing and desire at the beginning. She wants to be a shield maiden. She, she's rotting. She is, yeah. She's in a cage. That's what she fears is this cage that she's in. She, she doesn't understand why she can't go and defend Rohan like her brother. And so she does it. She goes out to the battlefield and she is triumphant in one sense and then completely wounded in another and has to go and heal and not only heal physically, but heal emotionally from deal with all this longing and, and turn away from it and become a healer herself. And to me, well, that's the thing. Like if you, if you go online now and look up Eowyn, all you get is a bunch of people complaining about how Tolkien was so misogynistic to make yeah, her not become. Yeah, because right. she has to submit to yeah, Faramir she submits, and, yeah. and let go of Weirdly, Aragorn. she had to submit to Aragorn first. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's, that's the weird part. It's like the, and that's less about gender and more about kingship. Mm-hmm. You know, the nature of Tolkien's view of kings and hierarchies, which you see also play out in that hideous strength. The exact same theme plays out with Ransom and Jane and Mark. And plays out beautifully and brilliantly, but Lewis is 100% pulling that from his friend and, you know, shared vision where Aragorn has to tell Eowyn first mm-hmm. and get that submission there first before she can Yeah, so talk, talk, talk what all. you mean about that idea of submission because I have a feeling everyone's going to oh, hear, yeah. hear it and immediately think, wait, what are you saying? Is this some sort of Basically, the, the gist is that everyone exists in hierarchy. Everyone. Every last person. Every last person exists in hierarchies and they are submitting up the chain 
every single character is in submission. And then down the chain, they also have to discover the themes that both Tolkien and Lewis explored that the kingdom exists not for the king, but to be served by the king. The king exists for the kingdom. So the one in authority exists solely to live on behalf of those who submit to him. And on down, the, we see this with moms, right? We see this with mothers where they can feel like, man, I'm sacrificing all day. And that's because they are. That's their role. The kids are in submission to the mother, and yet the mother is constantly sacrificing herself and serving. And you go up the chain. For both Lewis and Tolkien, they'd move up the chain and say that the, the wife exists in submission, this type of submission, up the chain to the husband, who then exists to die for her. Uh, just like the mom exists to lay herself down for those who are under her authority, so he exists to lay himself down for her, but then up the chain there, he has those he has to be in submission to. And so, what we see with both Lewis and Tolkien, they play that out and it's very medieval. Um, there's a beauty to it and Lewis describes the whole big uh, world in his book, The Discarded Image, which I really, really love. Everything exists when it's functioning rightly in a state of love and submission. So, love, sacrifice, and submission. And so, Ransom in That Hideous Strength has to tell Jane to knock it off and kind of like get in the inner spot in the chain. And it's a contested, that's, that's a highly debated and contested section of those books. And I think Lewis is doing something bigger than talking about marriage. He's talking about marriage. He's slotting marriage into the whole big medieval framework and hierarchy that he's playing with. But we see the exact same thing with Aragorn and Eowyn, where this really strong female very, very strong female character who has been eaten up with ache, yearning, longing, desire to matter, to live, to make a difference, to be high impact. And she has placed as a placeholder her affection for Aragorn. You know, so she's in love with Aragorn, but not really. You know, he just, he represents this escape from a cage, something higher and bigger and better. And weirdly, Tolkien pulls up, off something really deft with her where he gives her what she wants and, it's, and, she, and leaves her empty. Yeah. You know, so she gets the thing. She is the hero. She defies the king. She kills, the, you know, the king of the Nazgul. She does this amazing thing. She goes down in the songs forever and she's empty, you know, empty and dying of a broken heart. And it's still not because she's in love with Aragorn. It's because she's still longing. And so then Aragorn comes around and has to tell her to stop. And then she doesn't, a lot of people think it's like a fork where she has a crush on Aragorn and then she moves to having a crush on Faramir and it's, it's not that. Faramir is in submission to Aragorn. Mm -hmm. You know, Faramir is a, a prince who's basically stepping in and falling for this girl very much in a way like as commanded, which is very, very interesting. He's subordinating his own affections and emotions. He's not. It's not an arranged marriage. He's genuinely falling for her and genuinely loving her, but he's doing it out of obedience to his king, which is submission very, very, again. Yeah. 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 So I think, I mean, Tolkien, Eowyn is extremely relatable to many girls. Yeah. And, and guys. And guys. Yeah. And, um, and I think that the reason Tolkien can do that so well is just because he understands human psychology. Like, and that, right. that is the same thing with Lewis. Like, how did he get away with writing Orwell? Yeah. So many men, if they, when they sit down to write a female main character, would just really oh, struggle. Trying to, write, trying to write that character, the, the ugly woman. Yeah. Who's going to be, <laughs> she's going to rule the kingdom and she's so ugly she wears a veil. It's I like, know. Whoa. <laughs> Can you imagine pitching that to an editor? Like, bear with me. This no, is no, my plan. it's going to be the whole myth of Cupid and Psyche. Don't worry. It'll, be, it'll be great. <laughs> but he does it so brilliantly just because he gets the way people think. And, and Tolkien is the same way. So. I think also they could both write those characters because they both are those characters. And that's one of the, the truths about being an author. If you're going to craft a character successfully, you have to have some, corn, some kind of connection, some point of connection. I think Lewis relates to her mm -hmm. on a more fundamental level than we could ever understand. Oh, yeah. You know, from the unathletic guy with a fused thumbs, you know, the fact that his thumbs couldn't bend and he was never, as a result, was just, he was never the skilled one. The fact that he had his mind uh, and he loved 
the stories of greatness. He loved the poems. He loved the sagas. And yet, you know, he was a wordsmith and, and a critic. So I think that, I think he understands her. And I also think Tolkien understands the longing in Eowyn. And he talks, he and, Tol- and Lewis both talk about longing a lot and yearning. And so I think that he's placing a yearning he's very familiar with into a female character. Yeah. It's not uniquely female or male. I think he makes it so, and he does a really good job doing that. But I think he's felt that. I think he knew it, which is why it's so convincing. I think that's a really good point. I think that oftentimes I can see when I read a book, authors, they're always working through issues, right? Like in their writing. And you can usually tell whether an author has arrived at a conclusion or not, or (laughs) whether they're still searching for an answer in the way they craft their stories. So like, like with Till We Have Faces, if if Lewis had not figured out like, oh, in order to deal with these issues, I have to be honest with the sin in my heart and confess it and deal with it, then it would have been a completely different story and it would yeah. have just ended so poorly. And <laughs> I think like with The Winter King, I've had a lot of people say like, Cora, I, I understand Cora, I get where she's coming from. I'm like, yeah, I do too, because I have dealt <laughs> with those same things with having really difficult situations where the temptation is to be like, I deserve this bad attitude. Like I've earned yeah. it. Because this awful thing I have happened. Purchased this. Yeah. And, and no <laughs> male ever felt that way. Actually, yeah. <laughs> Actually, you purchased this bad attitude for me. You paid for exactly, this. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, well, I think that ultimately where we arrive in here with female protagonists, I'm all for them. I want more of them. But at the same time, it's kind of strange. I, I want more. I really, I just want more good stories. Right. And I it's don't care whether thing. it's a male or female protagonist. I want more great stories. And that's, I mean, I think like I don't have any mission to, I, I plan to write many more books, Lord willing. I don't have any mission to be like, I'm writing strong female right. characters, but I will probably always write female leads because I am a woman, because that's what comes easiest to me. And, and because I do think that there are a lot of, like I was saying, that 13 to 18 year old reader who is who's thinking what what do i pick up that's that's a has a girl as the lead that's good that's well written and i think there's plenty there are so many lies in our society geared at women right now at girls <laughs> who are growing up into like hey you don't have to take responsibility for so your many actions. lies by girls for girls <laughs> by girls for girls again half of instagram half? you don't have to take <laughs> three quarters 80 <laughs> percent <laughs> You don't have to take responsibility for your actions. You yeah. don't have to submit to anyone. You can be the the boss lady at work and not have any babies and you'll be totally fulfilled. Like there are so many idols that need to be toppled. And I think you can do those really well through fiction. So why not talk about raising daughters here? Because this is actually, I mean, it's very much the same thing. We, we You have a bunch of daughters there, Brian. <laughs> uh, big fat zero. So I'll, I'll be quiet for a bit yes. and hear what you guys say. Um, but it's when I, t- when I want to give books to my kids that make them better and stronger, one of the big misconceptions I think about the history of Christianity and the nature of femininity in scripture and in history, uh, what you said earlier about the female characters in scripture being so very brave, like so very courageous and having to be, there's a weird lie slash heresy that exists floating out there as a, both of, as a slander towards Christians, but also in weird corners of Christendom that is that women should be docile, right? They should be, they should be flat. They should be Bella in Twilight. They should be just a receptacle. You know, it's like, that's it. You know, they're, they're, they're just, they're a servant. They're just subordinate. They shouldn't, they should be empty of thoughts. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's terrible. And unfortunately, the weird thing is that when you talk about the lies on Instagram, like a, a lot of the female Instagram, the poor little sad world is powered by emptiness. So it is, they're fulfilling the stereotype in, in a really sad way, but I want my daughters and I have three of them to be terrifying to, you know, the, to guys. I want them to be intimidating. I want them to be terrifying. I want them to be strong female protagonists. So you want them to be courageous. You want them to be brave, but you don't want them to be full of loathing and resentment for who they are and their own femininity. You know, you want them to be women. But women who know, you know, in whose image they're made, and you'd like them to be terrifying. Mm-hmm. So I want them to read stories about Eowyn. I want them to read stories about strong female protagonists. You know, whether it's Jael or Deborah or, or Esther. Abigail. Yeah, I mean, talk Abigail, about gosh, 
Talk about someone taking some incentive. <laughs> yeah. But it's, um, so it is, it is weird how in Christian circles, people can really want their kids above all else to be well-behaved mm -hmm. and well-behaved boys look one way and well-behaved girls look another. And so they want them to be easily controlled, which is not what we're looking for. I don't want any of their spirits to be broken at all. I want them to be quite terrifying, ungovernable to the wrong people. Well, and I think that where the difficulty lies is that you see the bumper stickers like well-behaved women seldom make right. history. And what they're talking about there is like not at all what necessarily what we're talking about. No. And so that's where it, it, it comes down to. Although we're getting there in our culture. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's true. Where you, you're trying to show to your daughters, yes, you need to be principled. You need to stand up for what is right. You need to be brave and courageous and and want things and seek for things as long as it is always with an attitude of open-handedness to God and gratitude and thankfulness. Because I think so much of that idea of the like well-behaved woman is coming from a place of like, well, things were so awful for women up until the 20th century. And now we're finally seeing some liberation and let's, let's go see them like break glass ceilings. And, and it's, not a, it's not at all coming from any sort of place of thankfulness. It's coming from a grasping greed a desire to like one up men and so i think that that's where you know showing them that balance of like you should be looking at what god has given you the circumstances you are placed in and attack that with the ferocity that the lord has given you yeah and i want my sons to fear god and no man and i want my daughters to fear god and no man right you know like that's that's it so back to the lewis tolkien submission hierarchy the stack if a, when a woman gets married, you don't want her to be easily governable by just men in general. You know, if she stands and takes a vow to, you know, to love, cherish, honor, and obey up front, she should mean that. And she should mean that. But ultimately, she's submitting to God. She's submitting to God and she's not being forced into any kind of submission. And then any kind of forced submission is broken. So, Voluntary submission, the husband should be voluntarily submitting his life and submitting up the chain and everybody's laying their lives down. But I don't want stories about docile girls. Right. You know, you, I want stories about courageous girls. Because that in no way prepares them for motherhood, which no. is one of the most terrifying and anything, difficult right? blessings ever. It's, it is chores, blessings, chores, chores blessings. blessings, blessings. It's so, yeah. and that's something I talk to my daughters about a lot is like, this is really hard work mentally, physically, spiritually, and you need to be tough in order to do yeah. it. And that's glorious. Yeah, I think so. The the courageous, I mean, the last thing I'm looking for is, um, and I don't mean to back end an entire genre, which probably has some towering, glorious examples, but I don't want to, I don't mean to, I don't want teen Amish romance. You know, I, that's not what I'm looking for. You know, I'm not looking for female protagonists for my daughters to read about, or female protagonists for my sons to read about who are just docile submissives. You know, it's like, I love the Eowyn character, but I also love Woodhouse, which is not for children at all, but all my <laughs> kids, all my kids read him because I love what spitfires his female characters are. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's one of those things where they are spitfires. They are not just subordinate. Right. And then they, you know, there's usually, there's some hilarious comic dance, you know, between some guy uh, Smith and Eve Halliday or some great romance, a lot of rom-com uh, glory in those books. But um, it is there's just so many ditches in this particular discussion, so many misconceptions about women. Going back to the Victorian era when women were holier, they were the influence of holiness. The stories that are always about women saving men, you know, like it's uh, it's quite a, I mean, it's a trope that's been around forever yeah. where the woman is pure and for some reason she's willing to hang out with this dirt bag. <laughs> you know, we've catechized girls forever. I mean, I made The River Thief and wrote that story to just kick against the, the absolute dogmatic catechism that good girls must go for bad guys. Right. If you're a good girl and you're fantastic and you're pure and some wretch comes along, you are obligated to fall for him. And this goes back to prohibition in America, this goes back to Victorianism, women as the influence of holiness or as the vehicle of the Holy Spirit, super weird and broken. And then now that pendulum is swung all the way the other direction where it's all about the morally gray. Exactly. Now it's about, can we have stories of women who don't feel bad for being bad? Yeah. 
So it's, we need more. We need more writers like Christine and we need more of these books because it's unlike stories for guys like male protagonists where there's been a ton of bad ones for a long time and there's been a lot of good ones. There, it just feels like there's aren't, there's just not as many. There's not a wide river of healthy ones. And if you go farther back, they don't get healthier. They just get weirder. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So they get over romantic or they get, they fall into the weird Victorianism or there's, there's just not a bunch. Yeah. So it's like scripture, Lewis, Lewis. <laughs> all the Christiana, books. we got Bunyan. I was remembering yeah. Bunyan. Yeah. Bunyan. And then, uh, and then we have all the books that have yet to be written. Yeah. Uh, not meaning to be dismissive of all those great books with female protagonists that I don't know about. Well, really, I, I racked my brains last night trying to think of some particularly in like the young adult age range. Really striking, memorable. Short. Nope. So it's, it's on to you, Christine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Before we cut this off, because I know we have to, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to do this plug. I want to know, Christine, what has the MFA been like? Tell well, people who are interested in the low residency MFA, what's it like? What's it like? First, explain what the MFA is. Just yeah, to okay. Us. So the Camperdown Writers Kiln is a low residency MFA in creative writing at New St. Andrews College, of which I am the director. That means you come here and visit. You don't have to. Live yeah, you here. come three times mm-hmm. a year and you do all, a lot of reading and writing in between three one week sessions a year to get your master's in fine arts and creative writing, which Christine is currently engaged in. I'm She's done. completed all her work. Well, you're not. Well, I haven't graduated. I haven't walked yet. Uh, have so. I? Gra- <laughs> Will I graduate? <laughs> Should we talk about this right That's now? Always, How I, are my grades looking? It's funny you brought this up. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Christine is done. She's completed the course, and you're one of the first batch to do so because it's a new program. Yeah. What's it been like? Yeah. So okay. So it's been. It was six weeks total in class, and each of those weeks felt a lot like drinking from a fire hose in a good way, where you would be working on your own, reading, writing, um, sending stuff in, I think, occasionally for yeah. feedback, um, but mostly independent work. And then you got to go for a week, 8 to 5, 5.30, and listen to lectures, do a lot of live writing, which I was the most worried about that going in, having to write in five minutes or 10 <laughs> minutes, a little sketch for Nate and then read it out to the class and have everyone critique it. Didn't sound like my cup of tea, but was actually one of the most helpful parts of the whole process. Good. So I actually wrote the beginning to the novel, my most yeah. recently completed novel in one of those live workshops. And, uh, and it had so far has stuck. That we'll is see. pretty cool. Nice. See That's if awesome. it makes it into the finished product. But um. Yeah, that that part of it in particular was really invaluable. Um, For me, I'd written several novels before I joined the program, and I'd read all of the editing books because I love I love books on craft. But those books are always trying to hit with a broad brush any problems anyone might ever have with writing. So they can't actually tell you what your problems are or what your strengths are. And so for this program to be able to come in and have Nate, Aaron. Just say these are this is what you're good at, this is what you need to work on specifically, and then be able to see how I improve through the couple years was just fantastic. It was great. Okay. So this is how we like to do the comment box at the Camperdown Writers Kiln is we're just gonna do it publicly in a podcast. I should do this with every graduate. Like what are like we should have got Forrest, we missed him. Yeah, we could we could do it again. We'll drag him back. (laughs) What would make it better, Christine? Oh um more strong female protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> That's her job now. <laughs> um, I think probably, I mean, I'm always craving more feedback. So okay. more. More and more and more. More yeah. and more from you telling us. This is us, true of aspiring writers in general. Yeah, it's we'll true. We'll always take more. Yeah. You know, but I think if we, if I, there were some assignments I turned in just the final draft. Right. If I had turned in a rough draft, known what I was doing wrong, I could have corrected looking at those film treatments. <laughs> for, <laughs> for tr- we're treading around it deep Turn waters. Tiptoeing, tip-toeing, yeah, tip-toeing. tiptoeing around a wound. <laughs> <laughs> that I may or may not have with me for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, that, that would possibly be how I would improve it. I think that that being said, I have gained feedback, not just from you, but from other writers in the program and that has been fantastic. So 
Ian, one of the guys in the yeah. program, we just recently uh, swapped manuscripts and knowing that these are going to, you know, I, I've had beta readers in the past and I have some fantastic ones, but to have people who are at the same level or working on the same yeah. stuff that I am is really fantastic to, to make that sort of community and those connections. Nice. Okay. So since it's a young, young program, I'm actually always thinking about what else we need to be adding or doing uh, and whether or not it is in fact a good experience. Got to make sure it actually is. So the goal, the goal for the MFA is not to uh, create people who have graduate degrees and don't write. Yeah. We want to try to generate more stories. The mission is more stories. Stories are soul food, more stories, which means more storytellers. Got to have more storytellers. And Christine is now one of them. I recruited her heavily. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I pursued her. I'm glad I did. And uh, we can't quite claim Winter King because you were already so far down the track on Winter King. Mm -hmm. But the, uh, the manuscripts you have forthcoming, I think we've got some fingerprints on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and Winter King was already good. So people can read Winter King and wait for your next books and see if Camperdown made you better or worse. <laughs> Which way did <laughs> we'll the influence go? To your awesome. last question, I know we have to probably ditch. Right, Brian? Are we out of time? I think we're about out of time. Okay. The last question for you, Christine. Are you ever going to write male protagonists? I know your manuscripts Oof. are all female right now. Yeah. I see if I say no, then, no, then no, what will happen? No wrong answer. No, no wrong I'll answer. say no. And then what will happen is a year from now, I'll be like, you know, I've got this great idea. And I'll read it and I'll say, this is say, a girl, Christine. Yeah, Just change actually, the name. <laughs> <laughs> I have no plans to, because I think the legwork on that for me would be so much steeper than yeah. writing a female protagonist. And um, it's already hard to write a novel. Why would I make it that much harder <laughs> on myself? So when writing a novel is easy and you need to raise the bar a little bit. <laughs> Which I do not think it will ever be. I don't know. You've written many more books than I have. Has Still it gotten, not easy. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, uh, we, we do need to say that we'll return to this subject because we haven't talked about Antigone at all. I wanted mm. some Antigone and Cyrus okay, stuff. We want to talk mm. about Ashdown. But we're, we're, we'll come back because I think people are going to be saying, but what about this book? What about this yeah. book? You know, they're going to have a lot. Oh, yeah. There's and, a lot. Round two. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited to return to the subject. No, we won't. We're done. We closed it. <laughs> <laughs> We don't care how many comments. Maybe this will stop all the comments. Yeah. We don't care. We've said how all many. there is to say about female <laughs> yes, protagonists. Done. There's nothing more. Okay. Actually, we talk about whatever Brian wants to talk about. So that means Ooh, it's right. going gonna to come up again. I know. Maybe I just, Lady Macbeth. Maybe we could talk about <laughs> anti-heroine. Yikes. Yeah. Anti-heroine since there's so few of those. All right. Well, thank you, Christine. Okay. Thanks yeah, a thanks, bunch. Yeah, thanks, Coming Christine. In. More female protagonists. Please. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Stories or Soul Food podcast. Don't forget, you can get Christine's Winter King at canonpress.com or listen to her read the audiobook on the Canon app. Download and subscribe today from the app store of your choice. Cheers. Cheers.